Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast, and we're actually live again and in person, not doing a Zoom. Uh, it's been three years since we've, I think we've done two or three live in, yeah. in, in the whole last three years. So we've got Cherie DeMeo with us, and uh, we're excited to have you here and unpack Thank your story. You. Thank you. Uh, you are kind of a legend in town, which is really cool to actually meet you in person. So yeah, I feel the same about you, Gary. So <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to actually set eyes on you. <laughs> it's it's a it's a big small town. What it what took really us so is. long, man? Yeah, seriously, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, Cherie, what we like doing is start every podcast with the scenario. I know you're a big hiker, and so. Let's just pretend you are getting ready for a long hike. You're at a trailhead at your, one of your favorite places. Somebody sees you gearing up and ready to hit the trail and they start talking about you. And they don't realize that you can overhear everything that they're saying. What would you want somebody saying about you? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I guess probably what I would want them to say about me is something that inspired me when I was 13 years old. Mm. And, and that was a quote, and I always mutilate his name, so I apologize, um, but Georgie Zavant, and, and he said, discovery is seeing what everyone else is seeing, but thinking what no one else has thought. Mm. And I fell in love with that statement and knew that's what I would want to do in my life. Mm. And so I feel like I'm doing that now. And so I, you know, if, if, if I can see something that somebody's not, you know, seeing and then help them. And it's not just about me thinking, it's about them thinking in a way they've mm. not thought before. And so that's what I would like to be known for is, wow, she, you know, she thought of this or she helped us think in this way that, that we would have never even considered before but yep. look where we're at now because of that and it's not just about me doing the thinking it's everybody doing the thinking right right yeah yeah makes perfect sense so for those who do not know Sheree is the founder and CEO of biz growth she's been a COO and CMO on call which we're gonna talk about that as well and to say she writes a little bit would be the <laughs> understatement of the decade so she's been an author of, of multiple books she has been a contributor to multiple uh, formats or forums as well one of the books that she's written, which is pretty relevant now, is 50 Marketing Secrets of Growth Companies in Down Economic Times. So I'm sure there are more people reading that than probably yeah. a couple of years ago. Yes. So, Cherie, thanks for joining us. I want to start with just give us a quick insight into what Biz Growth does now. Okay. And then we can get into the history sure, of it. Sure, sure. So, what we do now is our tagline kind of sums it up it's next level next idea igniting prosperity and what i mean by that is it goes back to this what i just said you know seeing what everyone else is seeing and thinking unlike anyone else's thought and so uh, you know a company let's say you know a, a scenario a company there's no business in this world now that can't be commoditized Right. Mm, right. I mean, you know, it's amazing what you would never thought could have gotten commoditized has gotten commoditized. So, you know, how do you get to that next level? How do you differentiate? What do you need to do so that you are not a commodity that looks like everybody else? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, part of that next level is what what can we do um, from the inside out and the outside in to differentiate and and give you a, a true, true competitive advantage? Yep. So that's that's one thing that we do you know the other thing we do is is you know 
look at looking at core competencies and determining do you, do you still need to be in the business that you're in or do you need to look at a you know looking at what you're really good at and maybe there's another way to approach what you're doing to kind of shift you know what you know what can be done or do you need to acquire uh, an example of a international warranty company client that we had that um, made their made their um, you know their start in like pool and spa and uh, and then electronics and then they kept getting having to compete with like the big box stores and stuff and we started to think about okay so you know you know you're good at extended warranties what are some other markets we could go after mm -hmm. so we looked at the boomer market which was really fascinating okay here's a consumer trend that's affecting a b2b situation um, and boomers love their toys <laughs> they love their ATVs and their power sports and their RVs and everything and so now here's an interesting situation okay so we identify that those types of extended warranties through those manufacturers would be a good target but they didn't have the core competency so a company out of Canada was acquired who mm -hmm. had the core competence and we brought it to the US. Mm -hmm. And so these are the types of things that we do. So we're really looking at how to scale effectively, how to differentiate. We're also looking at how to replicate success, systemize process, uh, because there's also the prosperity of building a company of value and worth, right? Building a company that is worth somebody purchasing. But what's really important to me and I was inspired by this when um, I read, oh gosh, probably about 2014. Uh, I was working with uh, one of my clients, John Owens, with Owens Management. He was with the Meritrust and yeah. all of them. I know, I, I know yeah, you know who he's in. And, um, and, and we were doing the research for his book, Corporate Cure. And we identified that um, in, I think it was, what, 1957? Um, the average age of the uh, S&P 500 company was 75 years, and in 2014, the average age was 15 years. Wow. Yeah. And so what that was telling me is that companies are getting gobbled up, acquired, and they disappear. Yeah. And so what I became very focused on is a company that is acquired, but it's so valuable that they, they, they want to be that company. That is why they're acquiring. Right. That company lives on and on and on. Yep. You know, so the aspect of you know, enduring value, not right. just a gobble us up, dissect us, and that type of thing. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's what we focus on. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. And yeah. that was not always your primary focus, right? Mm -hmm. Business strategy was not. In fact, you were saying to us earlier that you were known more as marketing guru than anything else. Yeah. So well, talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting because I can, I, I, I've been on the entrepreneurial journey myself. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I've written is I've been everything under the sun. Okay, so get out of college in 1984 when I started my company. I was a freelance, I was at the Institute of Art and Design. So I was a graphic designer, studied advertising, illustration, and Which got one? Um, it's Columbus College of Art and Design. No kidding, Sorry. yeah. Yeah, and, and so I then moved out in the middle of nowhere, um, fell in love, got engaged, and they took me out in the middle of nowhere where there are no big ad agencies to work for. <laughs> so I started freelancing with small business. And, and very quickly fell in love with small business. And so, but the problem with that, being a freelancer, um, and I was always a gifted writer, so I was writing and designing, and um, I knew nothing about business. Mm -hmm. And I knew nothing about marketing. 
<laughs> so I went back to school while I was helping my clients. And um, that was, I guess it was in 1986, my first light bulb went off in my head when um, my clients were uh, assuming because I could write and design that I must know stuff about marketing and I was real <laughs> honest and I said no I'm back in school for that right. and they would say well you must know stuff about marketing and business I go no I'm back in school for that <laughs> and, so, and so that's when I realized that my mission was to create more what I called savvy business owners yep. and, and, and so that just started the trajectory of everything I've done since then to evolve the company into an intellectual property development division, a training, uh, a training institute for yep. the entrepreneurs and their employees, and, um, and then a full strategy aspect. And part of the strategy happened, you know, the business strategy, the ops side of it, is because I would, uh, we'd develop these marketing strategies. And, and one of the thing, one of my non-negotiables, I think every company, every business needs to have some non-negotiables that are so important mm -hmm. to the process that they will never, um, you know, it's just, they, they will not not do it, okay? Right. And one of mine is I must talk to all the different stakeholders, okay? We must mm -hmm. talk to all, you know, whether it's the suppliers, the employees, the customers, the, you know, um, key connections, all of that. We are very, I'm, I'm a research geek, okay? Yeah. And, uh, but we must talk to all these populations. And so uh, as a result, I would, I would not just discover issues around marketing, I would discover huge issues around operations mm -hmm. and around capacity, around communication, around culture. Just it goes on and on right. and on and on. And so to the point where I would literally pull back the reins and say, we can't do this strategy because what if it works? You're gonna be in a deep. You're gonna be in deep. You know what? Yeah. And so people are like, why? You know, why are you in our ops space? And and so my big issue mm -hmm. is, you know, I always say that companies op operate and they, you know, operate on a day to day basis, um, and then they market when they think they need to, mm -hmm. and all of it needs to be on a day to day basis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of it needs to be intermingled and and. So and, is, is that what ended up drawing you to? business strategy oh, versus absolutely. just marketing because you realized you couldn't do the marketing effectively right. without right. first fixing that problem. Absolutely. And when you start to get everyone, okay, and so then the, the other aspect too is believing that profitability is only discussed in the accounting department, finance mm. department. You know, everyone should be, uh, everyone should understand their value in the profitability equation, you yep. know, and the profitability quotient is like what I like to call it. And so, uh, so everyone understanding how valuable they are, um, you know, some other things that we look at is we've got a whole different way to approach time management. We call it income-based time management. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating about this one, this is when I'm speaking to see a group of CEOs, okay, at a conference, I like to do real-time pull everywhere, and I, I like to ask, uh, I like to say the statement, is this statement true or false? And I'll say, okay, I accept the fact that there are certain roles or positions within our company that are just the cost of doing business and do not contribute to the bottom line. 80 to 90% of CEOs will say true. Right. You get a group of employees, middle manager and down, they'll say false. Well, we all know the answer is false. Yep. And so when I start to then talk about income-based time management and how everyone is valuable, and I'll get, 
I'll, I'll have people raise their hand and say, okay, who is, who is just the cost of doing business? I actually had somebody say their controller, which really was rather wow. surprising. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, all different <laughs> names will be, Made you know, receptionist, <laughs> yeah, receptionist, you know, customer service, you know, and, and then I can give an example of how valuable based on the income-based time management aspect. And so, you know, what that whole aspect is, is around getting the right butts in the right seats, doing mm -hmm. what they were meant to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, and it also feeds to delegation, right? Okay, you're really valuable here. Why are you doing this? You got someone right here that can do this. That's valuable at doing that. Yep. And so it really gets um, leadership, especially, to value every single person. And, and what's funny is I originally developed this with billable per hour companies, and then you know, and the five buckets are income producing, generating, um, sustaining, supporting, and enhancing. And I was sitting across the table from a um, plant manager and he was complaining about his production line. And he was saying, well, it's just the cost of doing business. And when he mm -hmm. said that, I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> They're not just the cost of doing business. Uh, they are income producing. And, right. and, and so, and so that just, I'm like, wait a minute, this applies to every single company, you know? And, yeah. and then I started bringing in, I've, I've been applying that to companies for probably about 15, 20 years now. Yeah. So how do you, when you're going into a newer business, mm -hmm. you said earlier of getting the right people in the right seats. Mm -hmm. right? How do you go about that process? Is it individual interviews? Is it looking at past work? Is mm -hmm. it, how, how do you go about that? You know, it's a combination of, um, of things that I think companies need to look. Um, one of the th one of the things that I did when I was working um, when when I discovered that just really sad statistic about how old companies on the S and P were right. um, was I you know was looking at the whole aspect of corporate culture and 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 it's not just about what somebody you know is best at doing or skilled at doing it's also about what they're I'm, I'm a big believer in and strength-based um, team building mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in the strength finders mm -hmm. um, and let's focus on strengths because then if you combine that with you know where their time is most valuably spent but then also corporate culture is aligning corporate culture and so when I was doing that work at that time in 2014 I couldn't find a corporate culture assessment I'm very research-based I mm -hmm. like to validate not prove because you can prove anything <laughs> let's just be real you can, you can manipulate data yeah to you say can totally you manipulate to data yeah. you know that's the on you know the the reality of you know is it validated research and so I'm all about validation and so um, I could not find a corporate culture assessment that measured um, how well people got along, engagement, and performance, and, and the ability for that performance and engagement to endure. And so decided to, to develop it, decided to develop this, this corporate culture. And so, so part of what um, we do is first we need to know, okay, what is your corporate culture? And, 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 and do you, you know, hire into this culture so you have people in alignment with the culture that you want to have? And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, allow people to do their job. Allow, you yeah. know, give them the ability to do their job. So when I, when I first took over the wealth management firm here a couple of years ago, before I started, Gary told me to do what he calls the Thrive Wither. So it's just a T-chart. One side is Thrive, the other is Wither. But he had to hammer in my head multiple times, Thrive does not mean what you're good at. Thrive is what makes you come alive. Yes, and, yes. And so I think that combination of, 
that part and the strength finders piece of what are people good at naturally or what do they enjoy doing Mm -hmm. when you have both of those that becomes the sweet spot right somebody enjoys doing it they're good at it Mm -hmm. they're going to come alive you you really do want people to say they look forward to going to work every day Mm -hmm. right and they love what they're doing and they love the difference they're making i remember years ago a staffing firm very small staffing firm had uh you know again interviewing everybody right Mm -hmm. And this uh, this this young she was she was in the she was basically the receptionist I would say at the time, um, doing a lot of office management type stuff. But she had aspirations of eventually running mm-hmm. this company, and the owner had no idea, had yeah. no idea. And 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 I'm like, okay, this is somebody you can nurture and grow. And um, <laughs> and but that's what blows me away too is the lack of. The total lack of communication and awareness about who you have in the room with you and how you could elevate them to another level and then there's also the reality i was just talking to somebody um a couple days ago about this is not everybody wants to grow into a manager Mm -hmm. or a leader Mm -hmm. there are extremely valuable people that want to stay right where they are and how they want to advance is in their skills you know advance their skills keep letting them do what they love to do and advance their skills Um, so you need to understand that with these people with all the people that you have under you know don't say that okay if you don't get promoted you're no good that's wrong in fact most companies do it the wrong way they keep promoting until they're not good at a job (laughs) (laughs) I remember having a conversation with David Jones about that Oh yeah, he, he's big on the individual contributor, right? And mm-hmm. and um and and it's it, it's something that every le- leader needs to know. Some people are meant to just excel at what they do, right? Yeah. And unless we ask the questions, we make assumptions that are usually incorrect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's why I do like the, the the simple thing like the thrive wither, which is find what people love to do understand what they don't like to do and then horse trade responsibilities within the team to where it makes sense because we'll put people in in boxes that they aren't going to stay in boxes they'll shatter them or or they'll leave but it's so unnecessary we we don't have to do this it really it really is unnecessary and i think um what you said made me think of a, a situation with team um, where we did some, you know, strength finders work, but we also just, okay, who's really good at certain things, mm-hmm. all right? And so then we find that um, there's one person on the team that is just great at, you know, um, uh, auditory, verbal presentation, but terrible at preparing presentations, okay? Right. Well, okay, this team member is great at, t- at pre- preparing the presentation, and this team member can present the presentation. Yes. <laughs> okay, how, how hard is that? Versus, you know, making, stressing this person out, preparing the presentation that, that then he or she doesn't do as good a job presenting because she, he or she was so stressed out yeah. when there was a team member that could have done that and they could have collaborated and then everyone's excited. It, it, it really is. Okay, not everyone has to be trained on every single thing, right? Um, that's what teamwork's all about. Mm-hmm. Now, cross-training is still important, though. <laughs> That's a whole yeah. other subject, right? Well, training and communication are like fundamental, just fundamental things that are often, often overlooked. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it's interesting, man. What I, I keep thinking, why did it take us so long to meet? I agree. I mean, like, 
I, I listen to stuff, stuff you're saying, and I'm like, oh, we need to talk. You know, <laughs> <laughs> on cultural compatibility assessment. I yeah. had the same thing. Like, why are all these companies doing all these huge acquisitions? And I was living through three humongous ones. I'm like, nobody's talking about culture until the deal's done, and then culture's the first thing that blows up. So you and I have a lot of similarities. I'm, I, I want to go back to kind of, you grew up in Midwest Ohio, yeah. or Mid-Central Ohio. Yeah. I didn't grow up there. Um, I did 13 winters in Cleveland, Ohio. You endured 13 and years. I, hey, I did. They really did have seven-foot snowdrifts. I have a picture of me as a kid. Yes. Uh, oh my gosh. And I won't say I went uphill both ways, but I... <laughs> pretty, <laughs> pretty close. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, moving from Charlotte to Ohio, Northeast Ohio, was a, was a head yanker. Um, but I learned a lot of things, and there were a lot of wonderful people up there. Oh, yeah. Um, the, you can't beat salt um, Ohio the work ethic. That, yeah, that's know, exactly between right. Between farming, blue collar... And, yes. and military. I mean, I, I literally, yeah. I grew up, and I'm very proud of, of where I grew up. Um, the choices were um, factory, uh, farming, mm -hmm. and or go in the military, yep. which, you know, my sister, veteran military, mm. um, you know, I can still go back to some of my classmates that are in their third, their third generation farming, and I'm really proud of it. That's why I know I got my work ethic right. But yeah. sometimes you have a different plan, right? You have a different, you know, way. But you know who I love to work with the most? Manufacturing, yeah. construction. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's that's who I love to work with. Yeah, the kind of lack of pretentiousness. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, teachable uh, hearts there. I'm curious, what was it that drove you, or compelled you to come down to Charlotte from mid? Central Ohio in right. Well, what, what compelled us was actually an opportunity for my daughter's father. We were married at the time. No yeah. one married now. But, um, but um, his, um, his family um, had the opportunity to, get, to go acquire some businesses here. And, um, and we knew that we wanted to raise our daughters here. Mm. We, wanted to, we wanted to raise, like I, like I said when we were, before we um, got on, on air, um, grew up like where, how I grew up. You know, yeah. friends that I've known since elementary school, which is really cool because now that that reality has hit, mm. and uh, and and so then you know the reality was back in '94, you know, the internet had just started. Right. Um, I had to handpick clients, uh, competitors to take care of my clients in Ohio. Only maybe one or two hung with me because we didn't have the internet. We didn't yeah. have the virtual world yeah. that we do now. And so I, it was in many ways like starting all over again, mm -hmm. my company. Mm -hmm. But what was amazing is, is again, when I made the announcement, because at that point in time, I was, my company was 10 years old, and I made the announcement that I was relocating here for, for family and opportunity. Charlotte, back then, was one of the best places to start a business, the best place to grow a business in 94. And so it already had a great reputation, a great reputation. Um, I think the big joke was I was a president of the American Marketing Association at the time, and as my parting gift um, when I left, I gave them sunglasses because you actually needed them here. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> and what's funny is I had to adjust my sunglasses because in Ohio you wear sunglasses even when it's cloudy, and then then you have to get higher prescription, you know, sunglasses because it's actually sunny here. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, but I was blown away when I got here. Within two years, I had exceeded where I was in Ohio. 
Wow. Exceeded where I was in Ohio, even though it was almost like starting all over. What do you contribute that to? Oh, um, well, one was this is the power of making a difference and 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 being a true um, uh, giver, not just a taker. Okay, as a business, I'm yep. a big believer. My grandmother taught me that, and so. So in Ohio, I was involved with the Small Business Administration. I was involved with um, the corporate and continuing education for the small business um, for small business courses at the Ohio State University. Um, I was involved with, of course, the American Marketing Association. I was involved in all these different types of organizations. And little did I know, like when I made the announcement I was moving here, all of a sudden I, I, I didn't ask anybody, to, did they know? I didn't think anybody knew anybody here. Right. So I'm just like, okay, I'm going to just like start all over again. And then I get a call from somebody from CPCC. Her name's Emma Quinn saying that she'd heard I was moving here and I was doing stuff at corporate, you know, with Ohio State. And, you know, I might be interested in having me do some class for her and I'm like oh that's cool and um, and then the Small Business Administration connected me with the district person here and and it just like I literally hit the ground running it's just like I know there were people was like who is this person because I just I had connections I didn't even realize I had and 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 that's where I, I realized the power of strategic involvements mm -hmm. is that they are very strategic. You know, you give back and, and there's, you know, everything that I was involved in, I specialize in entrepreneurs, was very focused on reaching out. You know, part of the reason I love teaching, I do a lot, I've, I've been a guest instructor for the, a lot of the small business centers in North Carolina. And, you know, it, it, it's not for the pay, let me tell you. It's, it's really <laughs> mm -hmm. for trying to reach as many small business owners as they can and so they won't make the mistakes that you see. <laughs> you know? It's like it's like just another way to reach more and help them know what not mm -hmm. to do and what to do. And and so that really was was huge. And you know, I subscribed to the business journal. It took it took um, me probably nine months to transition. Mm -hmm. All my clients, myself, I had, you know, two daughters at the time I was transitioning. So I, I spent about nine months, so I subscribed to the Business Journal. Um, and um, one of my first uh, clients here was Katie Tyler with Tyler to Construction. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. She and gets culture, man. Yeah, she totally does. And, <laughs> and, and, and what's really funny about, about that is, and, and the reason I targeted her was because um, I was working, again, I love construction, I love manufacturing, and so I'd worked with all these different construction companies, but they wouldn't, okay, I was doing the seeing what they're not seeing and thinking like no one else is thinking, but they weren't buying it. <laughs> they, yeah. they were approaching their, um, they were approaching themselves like a manufacturing firm instead of like a, a, a company that, that builds things that have image, okay? And so, so, you know, one of my biggest issues with a lot of construction companies is they, 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 they view themselves from a manufacturing standpoint, mm -hmm. okay, if you're following me there, yeah, yeah. instead of from a, we build images, we build image, okay? And mm -hmm. so, so, you know, who are their, who are their um, working with? They're working with architects, they're working with developers, they're wor working with banks, they're working with all of these entities where image is extremely important. And so if they can understand this, then, um, then they are, then they are going to be more in aligned. And so when I started working with Katie, uh, what was cool about her is one of her goals was to do more bid, you know, get away from bid work and do more negotiated 
bit, right? Yep. Um, and so the first, ta- you know, the first tagline was turning, turning, you know, turning vision into reality. I think some innovating or something along that line, but it was literally presenting themselves like they were an architect or they were a bank or they were mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and it's like, okay, hey, we get you kind yeah. of a thing. And, and it always amazes me when so often businesses don't see what's right in front of them right. and how they can differentiate themselves. Yeah. Or um, they they say, well, all everybody else is doing it this way, so I should do it too. And my response is, okay, remember when you were about 14 years old and your mom said, if Johnny jumps off the bridge, you're going to jump <laughs> off too. Um, that's kind of where that's going. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you want to be like everybody else in your industry? So. Yeah, if anything, you should go the opposite direction, <laughs> exactly. right? One exactly. of the, one of the best ways in, yeah. in poker, the best professionals will assess the table and will play the opposite style of that table. If the <laughs> table is really tight, they're going to play loose. If they're aggressive, they're going to go. They're going to be conservative. And this is exactly what you're talking about. It applies to business too, because if you're just going with the flow, you talked about being a commodity earlier. Right. They're just another commodity. Well, one of the things you know, going back to commodity, I love talking about this because I've identified four ways a company can be commoditized. So, so um, one is that um, they, you know, the marketplace views them as um, th- they're a dime a dozen. Okay, that the company you can you can go to any company. Okay, the other is the offerings can be gotten anywhere. So one is about the company, the other is about the offerings. Mm-hmm. Um, then the other way, get to, the minute you start seeing co- competition, making it about price, lower price, lower price, lower price, lower price, you you are becoming commoditized. Yep. Okay, so that's the third one. But the one that really screws companies is when they view their vendors and their supplier, um, their empl- their employees and their suppliers and their customers as all replaceable. Mm. You know, and so it's a turnstile with the customers, it's a turnstile with the suppliers, it's a turnstile with the employees because they don't value any of them really. Yeah. And that's the worst commoditized business there is. Mindset. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, I mean, your passion for small businesses <clears throat> is palpable. Um, and I, I, I love your quote that you started here where, and I may have missed it here, but discovery is seeing what everyone else is seeing but thinking what no one else That's is thinking. That's exactly it, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, I, I got it right. That's why we, we record these things. It's really so Gary can just get the quotes right. <laughs> that does help. <laughs> but I do but like to me, the, that's what a strategist is. You know, yeah. I prefer to be called a strategist over anything else um, because that's what I believe a strategist is. A strategist yeah. is seeing what everyone else is seeing but thinking or helping others think in a way they haven't thought before. Yeah. yeah. You could apply those skills in so many industries. You mm-hmm. could be in corporate America. You could be doing that from academia, what is it that drew you to privately held businesses? Oh my goodness. Um, I just, I, I love privately held and entrepreneurial businesses, quite frankly. Um, they are actually more open. Mm. They're more open. They're more. They're 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 hungrier for knowledge. They uh, they m- in most cases they're willing to admit they just don't know it all. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. The the really the the really smart ones are willing to admit that. Right. Okay. Um, and and so they want to surround themselves with expertise. But you know the other thing that's really important mm-hmm. to me is I talk a lot about inside out. Um, as as a strategist, I always you know when I'm a CMO on call or a COO on call, I want to. I want to. I want to be my own succession plan with that. And what I mean by that is, get the infrastructure in place and everything else to get to that point where that company needs to hire a full time COO mm-hmm. or right. a full time CMO. And guess what? I set that person up for success because they don't have to figure out all this infrastructure. They they mm-hmm. literally can hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I've I've had clients like. Uh, for decades, like um, uh, a residential designer that I've had since 1996, and and um, and we ebb and flow. Clients ebb and flow, where they, mm-hmm. um, you know, they get it's kind of that next level, and then I set them up for success, and you know, okay, look at them from afar, and then they're like, oh, need help again, you know, and they keep coming yeah. back. And to me, that is the ideal situation. Don't create this kind of codependency situation. Mm-hmm. Help them, and that gets at systems and processes and protocols, and and um, how can we replicate success, and how can we internally make sure you're doing things so that you're not so dependent on something external that you can't. But then. That gets also at how you're investing your dollars and your profits and everything else, so you never get caught, you know, with um, out being able to do something. Yeah. So, yeah. when somebody reaches out, whether they're a prospect or an existing client, just ready for that that next jump, how do you decipher between what they tell you they need help with in the issues versus what they actually need help right. with? Right. Because quite often those are not one of the. Oh, same they're questions. not. Right. They're not. I think about um, a client in Ohio. They were a restoration company. And um, they thought that they needed they, they thought that they needed um, marketing. They thought they needed like a new fancy brochure or something. <laughs> um, and um, what they needed was a better way of communicating with um, like insurance claims groups. Mm. okay? So again, interviewing all these people, we find out that the insurance claims, um, people didn't know that they were like a surf pro where they would clean it up. Yeah. You know, yep. so they would actually clean it up and then they could do the renovation or the restoration or whatever it was. So they were only getting on 10% of the lists. Mm. So by simply creating that awareness, mm-hmm. they didn't have to create, they didn't have to spend money on something. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Isn't that a concept? <laughs> and, um, you know, and so I, I, I think it's it's about okay are you spending your dollars in the right way for the best possible outcome and result and are how how often are you making assumptions about what you need to do versus mm-hmm. um when you look at uh i have a situation with a general contractor where we interviewed their um their subcontractors and they, the subcontractors loved working with them. This was a company that specialized in upfitting like retail um, and, uh, and um, uh, they were really big on like restaurant chains and things like that. And so the, they had a love-hate relationship with their um, subs because they were great at paying them, which is typically why subs don't like, because yeah. <laughs> they're not getting paid on time. Right. So they paid really well. But the frustration with the subs was that they, um, they they were they they would look bad because 
um, things weren't flowing through. So like one sub would get done and another one could start, but the other one that was supposed to start didn't know they were supposed to start. So then there was this mm -hmm. lag. And then who looks bad? The sub that was two or three days later, even yeah. though they didn't know anything about it, right? Yeah. And so we saw, so I saw an opportunity for like a quality control kind of team project management approach to this company where you have the project manager, but how about um, you get the whole team that's going to be assembled to do this and and then you have a communications protocol so one lets the other lets the other lets the other know which makes makes the project managers job easier as well as um, boom 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 and they became such a fast turnkey operation because they didn't have these lags anymore yeah. and and that was a process that was just a communication protocol and process that helped them and then what was interesting then it became a marketing opportunity because they could turn things around so much faster than others that they were competing with because of a simple commu you know we're talking about communication earlier yeah a simple yeah. communication protocol mm -hmm. i'm curious I'm assuming, and you tell me if, I, if my assumption is incorrect, I'm assuming that people come to you and find you because there's some pain in something that they're experiencing. Is that mm -hmm. accurate? Yes, yes. So it's either that um, <clears throat> they they are being viewed like everyone else. The, the commoditization aspect is huge, where, they, mm -hmm. where the company um, is, 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 is starting to lose um, lose profit margin. That's a huge mm -hmm. one. You know how, because I have a whole profit sizing exercise that I do with yeah. clients where um, we look at their offerings, but, but I've identified all these intangibles um, that directly impact decisions related to offerings that could, and that then impact your profitability because yeah. you're focusing on the wrong offerings perhaps or what have you. We look at um, uh, their ideal target market segments and uh, segment opportunities and profit size those. We also look at geographic pockets and, all, and, and look at that. And so then we can identify um, areas of profitability and opportunity that they may not have considered. So if somebody's kind of bleeding on the profit side, how can we help with that? Another example is a company that is just growing way too fast mm -hmm. and has no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, growing. So it's growing like, pains. you know, so there's the one that's kind of slowing down to a halt and yeah. then there's the other one that's growing way too fast. And how do you, how do you get a handle on that? Mm -hmm. um, how do you, how do you get what's inside different people's heads and put it into, uh, you know, a, a replicable success factor in the company? And, and so, and, and then, uh, and, and then really looking at um, how to get everybody engaged. You know, the other thing is just when you when um, they're having a hard time um, keeping people engaged and excited. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because you know, I mean, I've had you know, we've all seen business owners that fall out of love in their business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, businesses fall out of love in their business, and it becomes the grind. Mm -hmm. And you know, nothing's worse than looking at the looking in the mirror and, and hating your boss, and it's you, right? right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, so, so you know, re-energizing a company um, so that they can feel like they're making a powerful difference in what they're doing as well. So you talk about making a difference. One of the things that's really unique with what you do is an aspect or a component of every strategy you put together is giving back. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Can you talk first about why? Why? Um, well, 
I think the why is because how I was raised with a grandmother that was always about giving back, and she so she just instilled that in my head. But um, but I I I believe um, I sign my e- I sign my emails yours in economic vitality, and the reason I sign that is because I truly believe entrepreneurial businesses are the economic vitality of a marketplace of the community. Mm-hmm. When there's a down economic time, who's hiring? It's not the big businesses. They're they're mm-hmm. they're laying off. It's the small business, okay, um, and all of that. And so um, and the difference. I have a bodacious. Um, vision that um, 100% business success and 0% poverty. That's our vision. And so what does that mean? So part of that is that businesses make a difference where they do business in ways, um, in, in what, and it, it all is values driven. It's about what is important to that, you know, that, and then get the employees involved. And oh boy, and you look at and the employee and the workforce now, they love companies like this, yeah. mm-hmm. okay? Uh, you know, millennials, Generation Z, you name it. It's one um, of the greatest, greatest sources of loyalty right now for oh, younger, younger employees. Big, big, big time. And so, you know, making that uh, a, a part of the company culture and, and it also goes back to what I call the profitability quotient. And that's the next book I'm working on is um, the profitability quotient, what COVID business successes um, confirmed, okay? And prior to, I was actually working on my overall book, The Prosperity Imperative, and it's now being divided into two different books. <laughs> and that was before COVID hit. And, um, and I had already proven that companies that were growing sustainably, um, uh, you know, had what I call a high IQ, EQ, and velocity quotient, um, also had a high pro- profitability quotient. Mm-hmm. Now, what I when I say this, you know, intelligence quotient, you know, you know your widget, you know this, you're good at strategy, you're good at competitive analysis, you're, um, you know, um, you're good at understanding business complexities. Yeah. I can go on. EQ is around people. It's a corporate culture. Mm-hmm. It's a vision. It's mission. It's passion. It's all of that, um, and it's all people. Anybody that's with your company, suppliers, customers, employees, all that. And then if you have both of those at a high level, EQ and IQ, then you're going to have ideally a high, what I call velocity quotient. And that's about the ability to get things done, the ability to respond, not react, but respond, um, the ability to um, be efficient and effective at what you do. And that is because you're operating on all pistons, getting ideas from people. How can You're in a continuous improvement mode always, yep. all right? Um, but what's fascinating is with the, the only thing that's different with the PQ is it's not just about having high margin and profit, okay? Um, if you have high profit margin, um, you may still not have a high profitability quotient. And, and the reason being is high PQ is about four ways that you allocate those profits at all time. So one is sharing, gets at the charitable, but sharing is also about Taking good care of employees, yeah. benefits, mm-hmm. everything. Right? Yeah, yeah, giving back is also Give, internal. It's yeah, not it's, only it's, out, it, external. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It can be about how you um, reward vendors. It's there's so many ways sharing can be involved, right? It's not just profit sharing. It's about how do you allocate your profits in ways to share and make a difference in the lives of those you touch, inside and outside the company. Yeah. Okay. Then uh, the second way is you must have some in reserve. Okay, and what we found that the companies that really got it, they were doing at least 12 months or more in operating expenses in reserve. 
Now let's think about COVID. Was it what, shut down about 18 months mm-hmm. or so? Right, basically. Ah, so, okay, those companies that had um, profits set aside to share, profits set aside for, um, you know, uh, reserve, were in a better position, even if they took the PPP loan. Yep, they could right. actually, okay, but then there's the other two areas. That's capacity building. And then the fourth area is profit set aside for enhancing the value of the company. And so what, what COVID confirmed with business successes is the fact that um, companies that understood, you know, putting profits in all those buckets were in a position to pivot, right? You know, the, the big word pivot, yeah. because they had money to invest in recapacitizing in different ways. Uh, money to invest in technology or, you know, or whatever it might be to advance their abilities, money to share with their um, money in reserve to keep employees and maybe shift what they were doing to help them figure out what to do. And, mm-hmm. and so that's, that was just so exciting to me. It was so exciting. I mean, I had a client that, um, uh, a fertility expert that expanded internationally with an herbal um, uh, co- uh, formulation for fertility, um, an international release during COVID. You know, mm-hmm. and so so that's what gets me excited is when you see it, it's a perfect example of seeing what people weren't seeing. And and so you know I've said it many times. There's a, a lot of businesses blaming COVID for their demise. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just put the nail in the coffin. Yeah. It yep. just put the nail in the coffin. That's all. Yep. It's yeah. it's funny. So in in the wealth industry, you know the same type of thing of market downturns. I, I think uh, it was Buffett that had a quote like this. Of, oh, I love Buffett. When mar- my idol. <laughs> when the markets go down, it's really just reallocating the money from the mm-hmm. impatient to the patient. Oh, it is. Right. And so when you see economic downturn in businesses, the businesses that are healthy are going to succeed quite often thrive coming out of it mm-hmm. and the ones that probably shouldn't have been in business anyway because they're doing things the wrong way they're the ones that are going to get exposed nobody gets exposed in 2019 when everything is going That's up right. and the economy is <laughs> exactly. booming well and you know something i i'm a big trends geek too i love to follow trends and something that i really believe that covid is the impetus that this, you know what what covid caused businesses to pay attention to or or realize wasn't as important you know, however you want to look at it. Um, I believe that we are going to have innovation similar to what we had in the turn of the century. And, and it's reinforced by, uh, by the fact that in 2020 and 2021, there was a huge upswing in trademarks and patent applications and all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think we're going to see some pretty amazing innovation coming out of all of this. Yeah. We already are starting to yeah. see it, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Yep. Right. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about moving from Ohio to Charlotte and having to leave most of your clients behind. During COVID, I had a client move to Australia. I, I expanded nationally <clears throat> and, yeah. during COVID. Exactly. All virtually. Mm-hmm. Yep. I met um, my, my client um, that's in California and Texas. Finally met him in person face to face in san diego about a week ago yeah <laughs> isn't it amazing it's crazy. Getting, getting clients during covid yeah i'm sure this is across the board yeah. that people have never met in person and yet probably have good well, relationships you know with what people. though we were talking about being in person here um what i find is interesting is local clients want to want to want to do more virtual and all my clients across <laughs> the country because they don't have to pay for the travel and all that they think oh let's just get on zoom i'm like uh, so i have to travel for fun now for the conferences (laughs) so the last piece i want to talk about on giving back before we we move on to the next topic is 
how do you handle the pushback? Because it is not, it's getting better, but most business mindset is still maximize profits mm-hmm. and anything else is going against what you should do. It's in public <clears throat> companies, they have a fiduciary duty to right. do that for their shareholders. So that's kind of the ingrained mindset. So how do you handle that pushback from well, business owners? Well, you know, one the other thing that I, um, I try to help business owners understand is, you know, with very small or smaller business, you know, you have, you have like, uh, you don't just, you know, you have four resources in a company, okay, in, in my opinion. You have um, other people, you have time and, and everybody's time, you have money, of course, and then you have technology, all right? And so, um, and so for some businesses, just giving back through, um, you know, time and talent, is, is a way, yeah. okay? So, uh, and then you can look at giving back time, talent, and treasure. And so that's how we approach it. And and, and then as you continue to grow. But it really, it, it, it's so values driven that when you drill down, the work that we do strategically, I've actually um, developed a process around values and goals mind mapping that um, gets to a true vision and mission that's unlike anything else because it's driven by that entrepreneur and that or that and or that leadership team but mostly from the entrepreneur and so when you have um, when you speak to um, giving back from the core value standpoint it's really not a hard sell at all yeah it really isn't because because then it's about, okay, this is important to you. So maybe it is, um, you know, uh, sustainability, environmental, okay? So that, that's, that's easy. This is important to me. If you, you know, being, be, being very resourceful is a value, okay? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then let's focus on that. Yeah. Um, if it's about, um, you know, economic uh, mobility um, and, 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 and all of that, then, okay, this is what we're going to focus on. So it's it's so values driven that it makes it easier to. I don't, I don't even have to convince them, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. And you brought up the good point too of it doesn't always have to be money of the giving back mm-hmm. or sharing. Mm-hmm. The, one of the things we're implementing this year, and it has actually had a big impact on culture too, but that was kind of a byproduct. But we're doing volunteer days where one employee gets to choose. So it's not the company choosing. It's like, hey, what are you? passionate about if it's the environment maybe we're all rallying around them and planting trees one day with a nonprofit or yeah. whatever it is yeah but doesn't cost any money you're taking a few mm-hmm. hours to just rally around that employee but they love the idea behind it it doesn't cost the company mm-hmm. any money if anything it's going to bring mm-hmm. better loyalty and better culture to the business in itself so it doesn't need to be financial well and and you know i'll tell you i um you never know where business is going to come from. It can come from the most so crazy yep. ways. Right. I'll never forget um, when my now 31-year-old was like four years old, and I decided to um, have all of these, um, you know, we, we decided to, to, to donate time doing something, and all the kids were like... Um, uh, you know, I had all these games to keep them busy while we were <laughs> putting stuff together for a charitable organization, and um, they ran out of things to do. So, so I like to recycle the other side of paper. You know, that's not 
you know, confidential information. So like right. you make a typo or something. And so you run it back through, you know, for internal purposes. So my darling Amaria decided to go and grab a bunch of that paper because she was taught, you know, to use it as, you know, crayon for the refrigerator, mm -hmm. right? So everybody, all these kids were coloring away and everything and all their family members took back with them. And then about, I guess it was three <laughs> weeks later, I get a call from a one of the mothers who read, who looked at the back with the typo and all and said, I think I need your help. I'm getting ready to start a business. Oh, hilarious. And you just, you never know. Yeah. You never know. And, and I think that, um, it, 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 what I emphasize more than anything is, um, when you are volunteering and doing a bang-up job, that's when they really see how accountable mm -hmm. and how um, trustworthy and how um, you're actually going to do what you say you're going to do versus when they're paying you money. Mm -hmm. And think about that for a yeah. second. We've all been um, involved in boards or committees where somebody is doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. What does that make you think about them in the business world, yeah, right? So true. And and so uh, so it gives you a chance to shine in ways you probably didn't even realize you you could. Yeah. And it and the other thing too that I am emphasized with, and I, that's why I love that you said about um, the employee chooses where. Yeah. Okay. Um, versus, okay, you're going to belong to this organization and you're yeah. going to like it and you're going to volunteer and all this <clears> stuff. No, that doesn't work. No. no. Make it mm -hmm. values aligned, yeah. okay? Um, because then they're going to be very proud to talk. I mean, what do most people talk about in, in all different types of settings? Oh, yeah. what do you do for a living, right? Yep. <laughs> Where do you work? And do you want them to say, oh, this or, oh, well, you know. Yeah. It, if it, anything, the company choosing you almost dread it because oh, now it's a, now it's, it's a it's, chore you it's have an assignment to do. it's yes. assignment yeah. you know that, that you're not getting paid for you know that's um one of my big um uh when i'm working on like leadership succession and the work i the work i do on the leadership succession side and and emerging leader side is all around strategy accountability it's things like this it's it's um mm -hmm. that you know to get people ready to be leaders okay and um and, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I love doing the real poll type stuff so you can get like a feel of the room. And um, I'll ask like these emerging leaders, okay, um, how many of you have goals that are imposed upon you? And you'll get like 80%. Okay, mm -hmm. so how do you get somebody that feels like the goal, you know, companies do it all the time. We all, we have these goals, we have these visions, and you're going to help us do it, right? right. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and so I actually changed, you know, what was in the 1980s, the, the, the smart goal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have a real problem with that. And the reason being is it's very imposing. It's not inspiring. It's not engaging. You know, it's what specific, measurable, well, if it's specific, actionable, actionable uh, or attainable, attainable, I think is yeah. attainable. And then R is realistic, which I think, okay, that's stupid. <laughs> that, I think the realistic is really yeah, stupid. Yeah. From an entrepreneurial standpoint, we all know that the best businesses aren't realistic because they're bodacious yeah, about true. their goals. Correct. Okay. And then timely. Okay. And so I've changed it with leadership. Okay. What if the goal that you're setting you align it with, okay, specific I like. It's the only one I like, okay? And if it's specific, it should be measurable. There should be something quantifiable about it. So you don't have to have another, you know, item for yeah. that. So the M should be meaningful. How is it meaningful? The A is how is it action-oriented? 
The R is how is it rewarding if you reach this goal? And the T is it's time well spent. They believe it's time well spent. And it's really fascinating. And again, you sit down together. Okay, so what, you know, this is a goal. How would it be meaningful for you? If we met this goal, okay, you know, um, how can we make it action oriented? What are some things that each of us can do to make this so that's every day we're doing something to reach this goal? Um, what would be rewarding to you? What would be rewarding to the company? What would be, uh, I was working with um, heavy construction around near miss reporting, mm-hmm. all right, and getting supervisors to fill out the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to fill out yeah. the paperwork. So we, t- we went through this exercise. And then all of a sudden, people were filling out the paperwork. So how do you, how do you implement that in? Uh, doesn't need to be large companies, but fifteen to mm-hmm. fifty employees, right? Where it's not a few people sitting around a, a table having a conversation, right? Or you can't put twenty five people in a room and say, "Hey guys, let's come up with some goals." Mm-hmm. How do you make it to where those employees feel like they're a part of the decision making on goals instead of it being top down? Well, I'm a big believer in, this goes to my first book, Me, Myself, and Inc., okay? And I believe that you should set goals based on the me aspect of you, the um, myself aspect of you, and the Inc., I-N-C aspect of you. So the me aspect of you is you related to anybody else around you. You know, me and you, me and, you know, me and my my spouse, me and my coworker, me and this, me and that, me and my friends, okay? So these are goals, me and my children, whatever it might be. So, um, you know, what are are those me goals? The myself goals are those goals that are specifically around your own self-satisfaction, okay? And then um, the ink goals would be the professional goals for the team members, the, you know, the company goals, all of that. And so what I think makes employees more excited about the ink goals is when you actually care about their me and their myself goals Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and then you actually yeah and then you actually like oh so how's it going you know you know somebody wants to run a marathon let's say okay and you're encouraging that and getting excited and um, celebrating that so so i think that um and then you know from a standpoint of uh, you know, and, and, and by putting it that way, you know, by looking at these three aspects of goal setting, um, you're naturally including others, which is really interesting because let, let's say you have a me goal that's related to a coworker, and then all of a sudden you find out another coworker wants to maybe get a certification, okay, something, which is an ink goal at the same time, but it's also personally advancing their skills, right? So that's kind of a combination. And then all of a sudden it becomes a myself, an ink, and a me goal because, hey, we're going to do it together. Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to study together and we're going to do it together. So uh, it, it, it's just a different way of thinking and looking at things, and I kind of like to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's apparent. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's interesting, too, when I think about you and I both came here in Charlotte, in 1994 is a very different city yeah. in many regards yeah right? yeah it, you know entrepreneurism that was here but was not nearly as much as it is now I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. you know the big banks and Duke Energy and Belk and all those guys the big ones that really shaped the mm-hmm. city mm-hmm. but they what was interesting is many of them were very entrepreneurial in oh absolutely nature. I agree because totally you said something that drew you here where like this is a good place to raise a family mm-hmm. and grow a business 
I heard Hugh McCall say this many, many times, even up until right before COVID when we got together. He, his vision was Charlotte to be a world-class city that was a great place to raise a family mm-hmm. and grow a business. I heard him say it many, many times. I, and I fully agree with that. And, yeah. and it really has become that. And when I said that to him, he said, well, not for everybody yet. So like that's still his passion. You, and this goes back to your goal, which was 100% business success, 0% poverty. Well, and look, you know, and what was it, the report in 2012 related <coughs> oh, to economic terrible. mobility? I mean, oh, wow, what a slap in the face for Charlotte, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and there, there is no reason with the entrepreneurial spirit and with the, um, you know, Charlotte is a very open arms uh, it always has yeah. been. I mean, you know, yeah. it, 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 I mean, it is a melting pot of diversity in so many ways. Um, diverse thinking, diverse. So why why can't we embrace all this and make this um, a, a place that everybody can thrive? And and so yeah, that was that 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 was a that did not help. But you know what's what's what I'm excited about is look at all that's being done around it. I'm part of the women executives and we have um, a program, literally economic, uh, we've been we've been thinking economic mobility before before that was even an issue, yeah. right? Or, or made an issue, I guess. I was gonna say, it was an yeah. issue, it just wasn't talked yeah, about. It just wasn't right? talked about, it yeah. It became a talked about issue. Yeah. Um, and so there's so much good work going on. Um, you know, there's a, you know, organization called Brave Works and what they're doing. I mean, there's just, there's so many, and, and it takes, you know, it takes private, it takes public, and it takes um, um, charitable philanthropy to all work together mm-hmm. to make this happen. Yeah. yeah, in the trend that we've talked about a little bit in here of the giving back and the, the for-profit organizations contributing to that, mm-hmm. the more popular that gets, mm-hmm. it's gonna exponentially improve what you're talking about. because. Nonprofits have been around forever. Oh, right. Right. And they've been doing their thing, and that's great. But when you start to get the for profit organizations trip, chipping in as well, mm-hmm. yeah. that be, that's the game changer. Well, and I tell small business owners all the time a nonprofit, you know, they do their taxes differently, but they're, they, they, they're like a bootstrap in small business. Right. All right. Yeah. And so, one of the best things a business owner can do is be on that board. And you know, and and share the perspective from a small business perspective that could be literally uh, in alignment with how to approach that that growing that that nonprofit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll get um, uh, sometimes nonprofits when I talk about the profitability quotient, and they'll say, "Well, that doesn't apply to me." And I'll <laughs> oh, go, yes, "Oh, yes, it does." <laughs> I go, "You want people to give you money so you can do good, okay? You want." You, you know, so yeah, you, you need to get to a point where it's not all volunteers and you want to have staffing and, and, you know, and, and you need to build the capacity to serve and you need to build, uh, you need to build value so you get more contributors and then all of a sudden, oh, okay, right. <laughs> You just do your taxes different, that's all. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> true. So I appreciate you coming yeah. on. We could keep you here forever and keep talking, but is there any final are there any final thoughts you want to leave listeners with um you know what i would i guess what i would say is that um the other thing i like to say is that um that i really do believe opportunities abound and so it is about um um 
make sure I say this right. I say it all the time, but now I'm, I'm going um, tongue-tied. Um, but it's um, uh, think beyond what you see and vision beyond what you think. Okay, so think beyond what you see mm-hmm. and vision beyond what you think, which means think bigger. Yeah. Think bigger. I like that. That's yeah. a great way to end this. <laughs> um, we will put in show notes uh, of where you want people to go, but can you put on on uh, the audio at least of where would you like people to check you out, connect with you? Oh, absolutely. Um, so you can check out BizGrowth Inc. at bizgrowthinc.com. That's B-I-Z-G-R-O-W-T-H-I-N-C.com. And that way you can see what we're all about. And then um, you can also learn more about me at sheriedemayo.com. That's S-H-E-R-R-E-D-E-M-A-O.com from the author speaker standpoint. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been sure. great. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you, Sheree. Thank you.